0: one it's time for the talent talk radio show brought to you by people g2 a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G 2 Chris Dyer.
1: Hey, good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. If you're tuning in live, you are here for a very special show, and I'm really, really excited. I keep saying this, but we have just been nailing it with guests. I mean, we have just been booking the best of the best, and today is another example of that. Two of my favorite guys who, they don't even know how much they have influenced my work and the things that I've been doing, which we'll get into in a minute, uh, in in seeing them speak and and reading their books, Uh, I'm just really over the moon that they are here uh, to talk about their new book, to talk about all the cool things that they know and that they're thinking about. And that's really what this show is about. I remember pulling Chester aside and begging him to let me chew his ear for five minutes as he signed my book for me and just asked him some questions that I couldn't get in when he was talking. I couldn't quite you know, articulate in the larger session and taking that little bit of knowledge that he gave me and turning that into something else and then something else. And that's what the show's about is instead of me pulling Chester aside to a spare room and getting five minutes to chew his ear, why not do it on the radio? Why not let everyone listen and everyone be a part of the conversation? And we do that by being on Twitter. So you can right now follow along on Twitter at people G2 or follow the hashtag talent talk. You can ask questions. You can argue with us. You can tell us we're the smartest people in the world or the stupidest people in the world, whatever you want, but there's the place to have a conversation with us. But hopefully if we mention something really smart, uh, maybe a book, maybe a link to a profile, maybe a website, we're also going to document all that there for you. So you can kind of follow along now. We do get a good number of you listening live, but most of you come in uh, after the fact when we turn this into a podcast. We've got, I don't know, three, four million downloads a year on that. And really excited to have all of you coming in. Don't forget, wherever you find that podcast, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, please make sure that you subscribe so that you get alerted anytime. Another set of really smart people show up on my show and you can tune in and listen in. Um, You know, a lot of the best stories came from uh, author, you know, people who on our show, authors and consultants and leaders uh, that uh, gave us great content. I turned that into my first book, The Power of Company Culture. My next book is Remote Work. It's coming out at the end of May. And we've been talking a lot about that launch. And, and Remote Work is about remote work. It's also about hybrid work. It's about culture. It's about everything else that you need to do. And I think we're probably going to dive into that quite a bit today. Uh, but let me just sort of uh, go ahead and tell you who's on the show to not keep you in suspense any longer. Our guests today are Adrian Gostick and Chester Elton, co-founders of the uh, company The Culture Works, members of Marshall Goldsmiths, who's been on the show many times, top 100 executive coaches, their keynote speakers, best-selling authors, and they have a new book, Anxiety at Work. Uh, guys, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Well, we're delighted to be here. Uh, this is Chester, and I'm delighted to be with my. Good friend and, and partner in crime, Adrian Gossick, you have been writing for, for 20 years together. So I'll pass it to you, Adrian, so yeah. they know what your voice sounds like. All because right, it, well,
3: those dulcet tones. Dulcet you know? tones, that's what people have often said, yeah. Chris, we're, we're <laughs> thrilled to be on the show and uh, thank you so much for letting us share a few ideas today.
1: So I will, I'm gonna talk about your, one, the first book that I ever saw, that I came into contact with. Now, those of you who are listening can't see this, but if you're tuned into the video, I have this book here, all in, and you can see all of these little post-it notes of things that I thought were interesting the first time I read it, and 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 that took me to. So I saw Chester speaking, and I will say, here's this guy in all orange, throwing things at the audience, and I'm like, who is this guy? What is what, what, this is ridiculous. I'm I'm here for a serious conversation about culture, and it turned out he was uh, right on target, and I was really happy I I listened to him speak, but. In looking at the book, I, I was at a point where I was saying, I want to change my company. I want to do something different. I know my culture is broken. I know I cannot sustain what we are doing right now. But what the hell am I supposed to do? What's the right answer, right? If I'm going to change, what do I become, right? And so it felt like that the book that you two wrote uh, really started me in a path to say, okay, here's some clear things that I need to think about. Here are five things that I want to go back and try. I want to do. And here's three things I think you guys are crazy and I'm never going to do that. But and now I, you know, I can understand. But you start to make that kind of dialogue with yourself and start trying to figure things out. How, how did you guys even get started in this? How did you, you know, kind of become what you've become? Maybe kind of, maybe one of you can start and one can kind of pick up on that. But what does that journey look like to, to learn all of that?
3: Well, I'll, I'll jump in then, Chris. Uh, Chester and I, we've been, for more than 20 years now, as you mentioned, writing together. We began with writing about recognition, wrote a book called The Carrot Principle. Uh, mm-hmm. we'd, we'd worked a lot in employee recognition, building programs for organizations. And when we began writing all in, uh, we just formed a company of our own about 10 years ago. And our clients were really leading us to say, look you can you can talk about employee engagement, employee uh, in recognition all you want, but if the culture' is not right in the Cincinnati office or the you know or this team or this division, then nothing's right." And we began studying this concept of team, of, of team culture and organizational culture, conducted a huge research study for All In with Willis Towers Watson, and had a lot of the data that said, especially in the worst of times, what companies do to, to really differentiate themselves. And our work then, uh, over the last few years, we went to teamwork with a book called The Best Team Wins. And Chess, uh, maybe you could help him, help everybody understand where we went with gratitude and anxiety next.
2: Yeah, it's been it's been a great journey, and uh, you know our partnership has lasted more longer than a lot of marriages. <laughs> so it speaks well of our, <laughs> our relationship. Yeah, we 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 went into uh, leading with gratitude, really kind of a, the care principle 2.0 in many ways. A deeper dive into the emotional connection at work. You know, we love the ceremonies, the traditions of traditional recognition. You know, where you present the plaque and so on. I think that's a important part of building a culture. We took it to a deeper level with leading with gratitude in that how do you really connect with people emotionally? You know, it's not as formal. It's not as ceremonial. And yet we think really, really important that you connect on those levels on seeing what's going on and then expressing your gratitude in a very meaningful way. Well, that book came out right before COVID uh, hit last year. Timing was perfect (laughs) for that kind of stuff. And of course, your publisher always asks you, what are you working on next? And Adrian and his son uh, Anthony had been working on anxiety in
4: mm-hmm. the
2: workplace and um, brought it to Collins and said, uh, and they said, Look, we love it. It's very timely. How fast can you write it? And so it, it comes out May 4th, May the 4th be with you. So it's easy to remember. And um, they really are not polar opposites, as you might think, Chris. You know, people say, geez, you went from gratitude to anxiety. Isn't that kind of a 180 degree shift? It's really not. In fact, the eight, um, strategies that we have in uh, anxiety at work. The eighth strategy is using gratitude to tamp down your anxiety. You can't be in a state of uh, gratitude and a state of anxiety at the same time. And right. so we, as we looked at leaders that led with gratitude, they created great cultures. They created safe places to work. They created the trust that allowed people to come in and say, hey, uh, I'm overwhelmed. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've got some anxiety. I need some help. And um and what really drove us, right, Adrian, was the stigma that's attached to anxiety. You, you can talk about pretty much anything else, right? Or, you know, you, you, we often say, we, if you say, I've got the flu, they say, please don't come in, right? <laughs> or, you know, I um, I was skiing and I and I you know broke my leg. And some, every, fine, fine, fine. Somebody comes in and says, look, I'm just emotionally uh, overwhelmed. My anxiety levels are sky. I, I need to take a couple of days. There's still that stigma that says, oh, Chris can't have it. Right, You know, this is a tough job. We hire tough people, you know, suck it up. Right. So our, our mission, our passion really is to remove that stigma, to your point, give leaders the tools to A, recognize it and how to deal with it. So you don't have the, the turnover, the anxiety, the drop in production that so often happens when you've got anxiety in your culture. Long answer to a short question. Thank yeah, you no, for yeah. introducing
1: me, Adrian. <laughs> But you know, one of the things I'm kind of really curious about, I wanted to, to ask you two about first, before we kind of maybe dive into some of the, the parts of, of the new book. I have noticed that those companies that come to me that want to work on their culture, right? They tend to be the, what I would call the B plus or A minus students, right? They're already good. They're already thinking about it. This is already something that really focused on. I mean, this is like, this is like the, you know, the supercharged athlete who comes and gets, you know, one more coach or one more person. And yet it's the people, it's the cultures that are getting an F or a D or aren't even, aren't even measuring that, right? That should be, I wish I could go and I could help because they're the ones where I could make the biggest uh, change, right? Have the biggest impact on their people. Uh, do you see that? And, and, and do you think that that will ever, there's ever a way to, to get those people to maybe change or to listen?
3: Yeah, I don't think you're ever going to, they'll never call Chris. <laughs> we've said the same, <laughs> we've said the same thing. Cause people say, Oh, you guys deal in culture. You wrote all in all on culture. You must have some really diseased environments that call you. And, you know, whenever there's a news story about a terrible culture, mm-hmm. uh, you know, often we'll get, we'll ask a quote on it and they say, Oh, I'm sure they'll be calling. They'll, no, they never will because they will never get it. And, and what we find in your work does the same, Chris, we find in those remarkable cultures, Cultures that really work on it. Uh, yeah, you're right. They're B pluses, they're A minuses, and they always feel like that. We always can get a little bit better. And, yeah. and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really remarkable that, uh, you know, the, the other ones don't get it and they never will. Yeah. So, you
1: know, with, I think the, the book is super important given
3: what we just went through.
1: So uh, we've talked about it on this show before that it's for me, and I think for most people listening, this is the first time that you went through something as a as a global experience and a negative global experience. Right, my my grandfather fought in the war. He we went through World War II. That was a negative global experience. Right, they couldn't go where they wanted. There were shortages. It was a change to their life because of something they didn't control. Uh, other people went through other things, but this is the first time that, you know, for most people you know, I couldn't just get on a plane and do what I want. I couldn't work how I wanted to work. I couldn't do what I wanted. Right. And so that brings in a whole nother level of anxiety uh, for people. There was anxiety about my job. There was anxiety about how I'm going to work. There's anxiety about what, you know, am I going to get a disease? And I think right now people are even talking about, they don't even want to go back to work because they don't trust their fellow employee to have gotten the vaccine, to have washed their hands, to, to not come into work if they're not feeling well. Right? There's all this stuff. So, where, where does the conversation start with anxiety at work? Where, where should we be taking our first step? Maybe I'm on step 23 right now. You want to back <laughs> me up to step one. Where, what's step one in the conversation?
2: Well, I think, you know, first you need to talk about it. You need to realize that everybody is, has got some level of anxiety. What was really interesting to us and the point you're making that COVID really shone light on that particular part of, of working is that anxiety was already pretty high pre-COVID. Yeah. When COVID hit, wow, you know, it really spiked. And to your point, it's something that everybody experienced. You know, we, we often uh, joke that if, if somebody says through the pandemic, they, they never had any anxiety, um, they're probably not telling you the truth, <laughs> right? It's the degree to, to which, and I'll tell you, um, one of the tools we give managers, where do you start? is know your team, watch yeah. your team, look for signs of, of changes, big big shifts in behavior. That's usually a, a clue that, that, that something's going is not quite right, right? Somebody who's never late all of a sudden starts showing up late. Somebody who's always getting their reports in on time is, is not, somebody that engages, you know, whether it's remote or not in the conversation, some, uh, all of a sudden is really quiet. And that's where we tell leaders, look, look for those changes in behavior and then talk to them one-on-one. Now I'm I'm going to pass it to Adrian here because there are certain things you probably shouldn't do.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and mean, we caution you on that as well. Right. You probably shouldn't ask somebody, do you have anxiety? Not a good idea. Right. HR comes right. to, to see you. But if we're building <laughs> good culture and we're building good leadership practices, we should be able to have conversations around specific items. You know, for example, you know, Chris, your, your reports are always so detailed. I've noticed lately, um, not so much. Is there something going on in this work culture mm-hmm. that I can help with? Uh, we're digging a little bit below the I'm fine. You know, cause that's yeah, the, that's right. the answer, right? How you doing? I'm fine. Uh, but we have to dig below that. So Chester's exactly right. The first part is removing the stigma um, as leaders. We normalize, we destigmatize and we empathize, which is huge. So, this is getting away from the old world thinking of sympathy where, Oh, Chris, you're having a hard time. Ah, bummer, dude. You know, that's (laughs) sympathy. Uh, Empathy is yeah. That sucks. Yeah. Empathy is I've been there. I understand. Oh my gosh. I'm trying to get my kids out to school. It's empathy. I've, I've been there. What can I do to help? How can we go through this together versus, you know, it's not, I'm strong. You're weak. It's I've been there. Uh, Let's work on this.
1: Well, and that's, I think, partly what COVID gave everyone was a common theme to be anxious about a common theme to be upset about or to worry about. And so we all could jump in and say, we're all having this problem. Whereas I think to your point earlier, one person could be having a high level of anxiety and everyone else is feeling great. It's a nice spring day where work's going good. Our sales pipeline's great, but this one person's not having a good time Like what's, you know, are they weak? Are they just, you know, they can't keep up. They, right. And so, that's a little bit different. Now, Chester, you sort of mentioned some very, I would call them macro things, right? Where, you know, they're not performing. They're, you're noticing the larger change in the person. I often find that I, I do my best work as a leader and, and when I, I'm training people to look at the micro things. And, and I'm wonder, I do an exercise and I'm wondering what, if you guys have ever heard of this or, or what your thoughts are. We do this thing called bonding, right? So any meeting that's 30 minutes or more, we show up and say, how is everyone showing up? And that's a, they, they answer that like them personally. So it's not the, to your point, Adrian, it's not the, oh, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm okay. It's not the generic answer, right? And I notice if someone says, geez, I'm I'm struggling because my cat's, you know, gonna get put down tomorrow. My grandma passed away. My, uh, you know, my car's broken. What me as the manager, I can stop and go, okay, I need to go help that person later, right? Or, geez, that's such a big issue. We should not be meeting about this client request. We can do that tomorrow. Let's help this person, right? Um, and, and then there's another exercise at the end where you ask how everyone's leaving to kind of get the temperature on the, the meeting. And then of course, as the leader, you should shut up and go last, right? Because if, if you show up and say, I'm super awesome, I'm, I'm the CEO <laughs> and everything's amazing. How are you guys doing? They're gonna be like, yeah, we're amazing too, right? So uh, uh, what are your thoughts on that? And are there other exercises? Are there other things that we should be, maybe it's in the book or we should be thinking about doing as leaders to uh, maybe kind of give ourselves the tools, right? The practice to do these things.
2: Yeah, listen, we encourage leaders uh, to really do as many one-on-ones as you can. Until you say, uh, to your point, there are the, the big things that you're seeing that are going on. There are a lot of micro uh, things going on, might, maybe some microaggressions. I think the point that Adrian made about empathy really opens a lot of doors. You know, One of the statistics that was just shocking to us is, and we have a massive database right now, over a million engagement surveys, we've done countless interviews, we have our own motivators assessment that uh, tells people what you're passionate about at work, is that only one in 10 employees feel safe about talking to their boss about wellness or anxiety. One out of 10. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. And, And what they're saying is it's just not safe. Mm-hmm. you know that stigma if, if i talk to you about it you're going to put it in my file even though it's supposed to be confidential it never will be and i'll never get the promotion i really want because you're going to see me as broken and weak so this idea of the empathetic leader one of the things that really opened the door to people having confidence to talk about that is when the leader was transparent about her own anxiety or his mm-hmm. own anxiety you know this is what i went through and it's okay. To Adrian's point, that's that's the difference between sympathy and empathy. Empathy is look, I know you're in a dark place. I've been there too. Let me let me come down with you and sit down So, so let me this.
1: let me let me challenge that for a second because I, I do agree that there are those moments, right, where we can connect with somebody and we can maybe if we do have a common story, right? We we've been in that we can empathize with them. But I think the challenge is that for most people, we cannot empathize. We have not actually walked in their shoes. We have not actually had this issue. And I'll give you an example. I had a woman on my leadership team come to me and say, I'm really struggling. My spouse has just been stationed overseas in the military. I'm, I'm you know, raising two really young kids. I actually think she was just about to give birth to one. She's got another one that's running around the house, you know? And she's like, I'm really struggling with everything that's going on. And she wanted me my help. And I said, you know what? I'm the last person to help you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I've never had this happen. I don't know. And and this was the moment where I stopped having so many one-on-ones. And we started having, if someone was struggling, we got them with people who were like them, who they could have conversations with because there was several other parents who had been in this position in my company who
3: could give her great suggestions, right? Who had empathy. Right. So and I- by the way, yeah, absolutely great getting her connected. I mean, we see this with soldiers coming back from war, right? They yeah. we've gone through all these ideas of do you put them with a, a a therapist or a senior officer? No, you put them with uh you put them with people who are like-minded. They've gone through similar things. Yeah. Now, with that said, I still need empathy from my manager. Now it may not you may not be able to say, in fact, I don't want you to say, Oh my gosh, yeah, I had the same thing where I was having a baby. No, that's silly. <laughs> But you can you know, talk about, I understand what it's like to go through hard things. What can I do to help you? And really to be there for them. Right,
1: right. Yeah, because I, 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 the, uh, the burden I think sometimes is that leaders feel like they're supposed to do all this stuff and yet they don't have the tools, they don't have the right words. And so what they do instead, they avoid it. And they don't have those conversations. And so, yeah, I think that's why we've always, can, can we get them with a group of people where they can have, have that support? I can still say, how are you doing? And check in, I can make sure. But you know, it's like, that can only have so many one-on-ones. <laughs> Before, period, let alone when I'm not no longer effective, right? <laughs> so what, what are the, the other kind of issues that were raised, uh, you, you know, is, is maybe burnout uh, mm-hmm. in the workplace? Uh, I think some people have felt a little refreshed, uh, despite the anxieties of COVID. That geez, I'm not having a commute. I don't have to there's certain parts of my day that have gone away that maybe would cause me work burnout. But for the traditional other things, uh, how does burnout and and sort of that the pressures kind of play into that the the I guess the equation of anxiety that you guys are focusing on?
2: Well, one of the things you mentioned is you know burnout is. With COVID, particularly if you're working from home, um, hours haven't gone down; they've gone up. Mm-hmm. People are working more hours. One of the things that we found was causing a lot of anxiety was perfectionism, particularly in the younger employees. You know, what's driving anxiety? The number one driver of anxiety is uncertainty. The number one thing people are uncertain about is, do I have a job? So now I'm worried about, am I doing a good enough job to keep my job? And so every <laughs> report has to be perfect. You know, everything I say has got to be brilliant. And that's a tremendous amount of pressure that people put on themselves, that can very quickly lead to burnout. I'm, I'm going to start working weekends. I'm going to redo that report three or mm-hmm. four times, right. and so that I that that uh, you know burnout, no question. People are doing everything they can to make sure that their boss knows that they cannot be replaced. That I'm the greatest yeah. employee you've ever had, and that's job security, and it comes at a high price.
1: And that's really really hard to do, but. We're going to take our first, our one and only commercial break here, real quick. Give everyone a chance to get a sip of water and uh, take a deep breath. And we'll come right back with uh, Adrian and Chester, uh, the uh, author, co authors of Anxiety at Work. And we'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Mm-hmm.
4: Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com.
1: Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Don't forget to subscribe at talenttalkradio.com. You can never miss another episode. And we're back here with uh, Adrian Gustick and Chester Elton. And we were just talking about younger employees and anxiety. And you know, I remember it was a really, you couldn't, you couldn't go to a conference without there being 19 sessions on millennials, right? <laughs> um, and, and, and thank God that started to go away. Uh, now we're talking about something else. but you know it, there, but there really was this thought that millennials specifically were told in school and told by their parents that they were going to save the world, that they were the generation that could solve climate change and and, and and eradicate racism and all of all of the society's ills could could be solved by them. They were our thing, right? And then they got to work and realized that they had absolutely no idea how to do that. They couldn't do that. Most of them were not in any position to do that. And this was the huge disconnect with that for that generation at work, right? And that's why why they were taking less money to go do jobs that where they felt a great sense of purpose and connection and because they were told this. Uh, it, you know, there's imposter syndrome now with some of the generation below them. You know, what are some, what is that what you guys are seeing? That's uncertainty was the word I think you used Chester. But what are you seeing for younger people right now where, where they are fighting this anxiety? Where is this coming from?
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Chris, because absolutely now you can't paint with a broad brush on everybody who's in their 20s is sure. this way because that's just sure. silly uh but we, we do notice some trends that we're seeing that are that are quite really interesting and for one as you mentioned you know this is a generation that's coming into the workplace that has tremendous amounts of anxiety to begin with uh we could get into a whole show on why you know from mm-hmm. you know being practice active shooter drills within their their high school classrooms i mean what did you know they go into a, a movie theater and they're looking for Exits and where shooters will come in. These are the things they live with. These these poor folks that we have we have created anxiety, and not to mention, you know, devices, the handheld devices that are that are creating this. So we could get into a lot of that. But right. what we do know, uh, and we interviewed dozens of millennials and with twenty year olds, we really could, should call it for anxiety at work. What they told us to a person was we talk about anxiety and mental health all the time. I mean, not just once in a while, almost every conversation we have with each other, we talk about mental health and we know not to talk with you guys about it because you don't talk about it ever. Um, And so it's really interesting. They're coming into the workplace, feeling the stress and anxiety, Mm -hmm. and they know you can't fix something you don't talk about, but we just don't talk about it. And so, and that's, as you mentioned earlier, Chris, that's one thing this, if this pandemic does have a silver lining, it's we've all had this shared experience of heightened, you know, anxiety, depression, mental health issues that have gone on that are starting to just make it acceptable to talk about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a silver lining for uh, COVID for sure, is that it's it's given us a common conversation. Uh, For me, being a remote work advocate, it's gotten everyone to actually experience remote work and see what the benefits can be. And to just stop those people who are telling me, oh, how do you know they're working? And, you know, oh, you have to be together in order to collaborate. No, you don't. Uh, You know, you don't have to be sitting next to someone to be able to brainstorm with them. You know, it's just these sort of silly things that people get in their brains. but. I guess, how do managers then, if, if, if the 20-somethings are saying that everybody else isn't really thinking about it and they're not going to talk about it, how can managers begin that conversation to maybe alle- alleviate some anxiety at work? Because there always is uncertainty. Whether or not you have a job is always a question mark. Whether or not the company is going to exist tomorrow is kind of always a question mark. Um, so how, how do we find a good balance there? You know, part of that
2: is just uh, frequent communication. Just let people know. You know, uh, voids get filled. And you know, the old adage that uh, no news is good news. Uh, that's not true. <laughs> you know, yeah. when we don't get news, we assume the worst, right? We fill those voids with rumor, innuendo, and fear. I think, you know, the the thing, and I, I keep coming back to this, is transparency. If you don't know, just tell people you don't know, and you'll tell them when you do know. Right. That fills the gap, right? Um, this idea too, and this kind of goes back to some of the conversation we had earlier, is do I have an ally at work? Do I have someone that, can, that I can talk to? Like you said, it may mm. not be your boss. Now, and before we leave the, the boss thing, th- there's one great conversation we had. In fact, we were talking to him earlier uh, today, Chris Rainey, uh, with his staff when he finally admitted that he'd suffered for years with anxiety, that he'd hidden from his, his business partner, his best friend, his, his, his family, his wife even that once he admitted that that was an issue, it opened up the opportunity for everybody to talk about. Now we asked him, we said, well, look, you're, you're a case where you understand it intimately because you lived it, to your point. you know, he, He's not an expectant mother with a, you know, a, a three-year-old running around the house. He could relate to that part of the business. Right. So when, when he talks about creating this safe place, he said, as a, as a manager, to your point, you don't have to have all the answers. What your people are wanting from you is they want you to listen. To your point, you know, you go through your exercises, you go last, and then you shut up and you listen. So when someone comes to you with, with issues that are causing them anxiety, that may be way well outside your experience in life and any kind of expertise. The fact that you just listen and become an ally and say, look, uh, this is above my pay grade. There is a group. There's some people I know of that. Would you like me to introduce you to them? Yeah. and find a safe place for you that goes you know now you're building trust right now now you're an ally you've created you know what amy edmondson is so famous for the psychological safety it's okay to talk about it yeah it's okay to talk about it with me
1: and you're, 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 you're and you're really kind of throwing in some of the, the big pillars of what make great company culture Right, transparency is one of them yep yeah. Being good listeners is another. I mean, be a good active mm-hmm. listeners, right? Listening to understand, not listening to respond, which was a habit I know I had early on, right? Um, it, it, we talked about recognition earlier. That's one of the other pillars in my book. You know, you have to have a good recognition program. But the first thing you said, I want to make sure people didn't miss, which was when you don't know something, right? You fill it in with everything else you do. Now, people, human beings, they don't know what they don't know. And you, they don't, unless unless you slow down and you're in a perfectly wonderful scientific you know, situation, if human beings see two, two bits of data and they don't know the answer, then they make up the answer in their head, right? Uh, Chester was mean to me. And then I walked down the hall and Adrian yelled at me, holy crap, I'm getting fired today. Or no one likes me here, right? Not that those two just had a conversation and got yelled at by a client and now they're just in a bad mood, right? I, you two were mean to me at work and all of a sudden now I think I'm in trouble, right? And, and it's, it's so easy for people to make just terrible conclusions, terrible conclusions about what, what's happening. So how do we reduce that stress? How do we, how do we kind of bring in the benefit, I guess, of, of mental well-being and, and, and help our, our companies be more productive and maybe even influence the bottom line, right, by bringing down that level of anxiety? How do we do that?
3: You know, this is I'm working with, you know, we do a lot of executive coaching, Chester and I, as well as our culture work. And, uh, you know, this is one of the things, especially in very technical organizations, we often work in IT or or engineering. And and there's often a very kind of hard side to some of these businesses, medical as well. That we have to bring in the softer side uh, as well, and realizing that uh, you know, w- just with what you described there, those things happen, and we have to have relationships of trust to be able to to work through those. Um, I, I, you know, I was I was working with a big manufacturing company, Danaher, uh, one of the you know one of the real success stories in manufacturing, and you know, there's one of the senior leaders stood up and he said, "Look, there are times where we want you to be as leaders strong and powerful, and there are times we want you." to be soft and vulnerable and it's your job as a leader to learn that and none of these managers had ever been asked that before but it's amazing what happened when they implemented that their employee engagement scores went up as they started learning this their profitability went up everybody was working harder because they knew actually my boss is a human being now but it's Mm -hmm. a skill we have to learn sometimes
1: i'm wondering what you two think about leaders being vulnerable and when is the right time? Because I've noticed there are times when maybe someone is struggling and you could be personally vulnerable. Uh, And I think you can be vulnerable up to your boss pretty easily, right? To share what's going on with you. But there's also sometimes a disconnect if you're vulnerable in a time when a pandemic hits the entire world right if you show up to your to your direct reports and say holy crap this is terrible we may all lose our jobs this is the worst thing that's ever happened i mean you're being vulnerable but like you're scaring the living bejesus out of them i feel like in that moment they want you to show up and be their knight in shining armor right they want to be like we're going to figure this out we're going to get this done yeah you may go back and tell your boss oh my god this is terrible so how do, how do we know, like, when is it time to turn it on and turn it off? I think that's what a lot of leaders really struggle to know and understand.
2: Yeah, and I think a lot of leaders struggle with vulnerability because they don't want to appear to be weak. Mm-hmm. You know, like you say, I, I need to be strong. And there are times when you need to be strong for your family and, and, and for the people at work. And, and, and that's the difference between good leaders and great leaders. You, you know when. And I don't think there's a magic formula for that, you know. I think you, you've got to read the room. You've got to know your team. Read How the afraid room. are they? Yeah, yeah. Read the room. <laughs> How vulnerable are they? You know, um, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 measure that. You know, say, oh, oh my gosh, the pandemic—we're all going to lose our jobs. You're being vulnerable. No, you're not. You're being a knucklehead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, come on. I mean, uh, there's there's yeah. never a manual that says, by the way, in a crisis, tell everybody you're going to die. You know. Yeah. So uh, th- that idea of Again, know your players, know who's strong, know who's not. Know who you can kind of say, hey, we've got to step it up here. This yeah. is really an important month for us. And know the people that you you've got to hug a little bit, just like Adrian said.
3: You know, and it's amazing. When, oh, sorry, go ahead. Just,
2: finish up, Adrian. Go ahead. Uh,
3: yeah, it's amazing how many people will step up when you ask for help, even during vulnerable, vulnerable times. I remember working with one leader of a you know mid-sized manufacturing company, and he you know, it was at uncertain times. They were implementing SAP, that which is always hard. Uh, making that big transition, their their sales were declining. Their, you know everything was sort of going wrong for them. And the CEO stood up and he said, "Look, you know times are hard right now. I, I don't have lots of answers." Uh, he says because I don't have all the answers, but together we do. There are two thousand of us strong. Uh, he says, "Alone, I'm one man, but together we could be Albert Einstein." I love that. And he says, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave my door open. You will not see it closed for the next three months. If you have an idea, come see me. If there's somebody in there, wait. Uh, And he did. He called us up later and he says, I just had a couple of guys, burly guys from the the factory come up and talk about how they could increase some efficiency in their cell and manufacturing cell and this, that and the other. And and he was just so excited that people started coming to him with ideas and, and it started working. Um, is the idea is yeah, we don't have all the answers, but come with me together into the darkness. I'm gonna, I'll never leave you, I'll be there with you. Uh, there's a lot of power that comes in that,
2: yeah. I think one of the most courageous things a leader can say that's very transparent and very vulnerable is help,
1: yeah, need your help, yeah. But to your point, it's got to be a mix, right? You got to show up and be able to be competent and to be strong, and you as a leader have to put in the work and the time and the effort to, to be the right person to be sitting in that chair, doing that job. But at the same time, yeah, you can say, I don't know something and I need help. I, I mean, that's a bit, the best leaders are, I, I, I always think the best leader is like uh, the, the conductor in an orchestra, right? They are, proficient and they understand how to play lots of instruments and, and have a great understanding of music and theory, but yet they are conducting the best violin player and the best oboist and the best percussion, right? And, and getting them to all sound wonderful. And, and no one no one would ever say, well, that conductor is not the best trumpet player or is not the <laughs> best harp player, right? They would never give them that sort of uh, criticism. It's their job to bring these incredible people together to to, to do this amazing thing all at the same time. And, and at work, I think if we take on that kind of persona, we can think of ourselves in a better way. It's not our job to you know how to do every job there or to do everything there, right? It's, it's to get people to, to work well together, to play well together, and hopefully, you know, make the company better, right?
2: Exactly. The, the best leaders really are conductors, right? They realize that it's not all them. They appreciate yeah. the uh, back to the recognition piece and the gratitude piece. And we always say, look, in any kind of big transition, communication needs to go up and gratitude needs to go up. People need to be reassured and reassured about the little things. You know, it's not all about the year-end banquet or the the sales awards or whatever at the end. It's all about those little milestones along the way. And, you know, we had this uh, situation at a conference we were at where the older leaders were saying, gosh, these younger, they just need so much praise and recognition. And there was a table, remember, it was right next to them with the younger people and they were kind of rolling their eyes. We said, is that true? Do you need like a brass band every time you show up? I said, no, what we need is, we need the collaboration. We need coaching. We need, we need to know we're on the right track. We need feedback. We want feedback. Yeah. And, and, and the numbers, and Adrian's a lot better with the numbers than I am, but it's something like, you know, 65% of employees want feedback. Right? Yeah. They want that feedback. And yet the majority of managers don't want to give feedback because they don't want to have that confrontational kind of conversation. So they said, look, we're not asking for, for praise, you know, love me, love me, love me. We want to know how am I doing? How am I doing? And, and yes. that's, 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 that's fine. That's acceptable. And, and I think once you understand uh, in, in that context, right. it changes the way you treat people.
1: Well, I think that's like what I took from Marcus Buckingham's work was it's not really even feedback. It's attention, right? It's sure. not. I don't, you don't need to sit and have you tell me the 500 things I did wrong uh, for me to feel like I'm valued. It's I need your attention and just need you for a moment to let's yeah. talk about what I'm working on. Let's talk about what I'm excited about. Let's talk about how things went and what we could change and just so I know what you know. My am, am I navigating this company and my career and my employment here uh, the right way? And Absolutely. And the second thing I learned, which is from our our fellow friend Marshall Goldsmith, is. Actually, I don't even use the word feedback anymore. We use feed forward. Feed
2: forward, yeah. that's. I Marshall.
1: love Marshall's <laughs> feed forward because you can't, unless you have a DeLorean and you have a friend named Doc, you cannot go <laughs> back and change what's happened. That, that was just a movie, Chris. i just
3: I'm <laughs> that wasn't it. a documentary. <laughs> yeah. That's not real, <laughs> right? No, I love what you're saying there because that's what we heard too. As we were conducting our interviews, is that look, yeah, I'm not looking for pats on the back. I'm looking for, as as Buckingham says, I'm looking for that sort of attention. You know, and we heard over and over again. I would, I would kill just to have my manager. Uh, take me through my week, you know, sitting down with me Monday morning and saying, Hey, what have you got, Chris? Great. Let's prioritize those against the uh, goals of the organization and the team. Okay. You know, that one we might be able to put off. If you don't get to it this week, that's okay. But this one, just to something as simple as that, will bring down anxiety levels considerably. Mm-hmm. So, what we found were, and we, we talk a lot in anxiety work about these ideas simple little things that you can do Monday to bring down anxiety levels like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, and for anyone who feels like they can't do that, I, I do 15 minutes with all my direct reports Monday afternoon, because I feel like Monday afternoon is my least productive time of the entire week for whatever reason. And so instead I put my one-on-ones there because I'm now I'm engaged. I'm thinking right, I'm not, you know, sort of slow or or unmotivated. And it's 15 minutes of what are you working on? What's your priorities? How can I help you? Do we need other meetings with other people during the week? What do you know, just just creating that map for them right? And then because I'm meeting with all of them in a short period of time all around the same time, I'm super locked into what they're doing and and what's happening. And then every meeting after that all week long, I've already, I, as a leader, I've been front loaded which is sort of an educational term with what they're working on and what they're thinking about. So I can be supportive all week. That's 50. I mean, however many direct reports you have, you know, times 15 minutes, that's not that much. That is the only one-on-one meetings I do, unless there's a problem, unless there's an issue, uh, you know it's a one-off, that's it. And then everything else for us as teams, we do everything else in, in a team setting. Um, I, I got the impression earlier on that you hated one-on-ones, Chris. I do, <laughs> I do. Nice turnaround for you. <laughs> I, I do hate them. Uh, I do do them in that one little tiny 15 minute bucket because it's important, but I hate them because I feel like they get to be a chore. They get to be too stagnant. Uh, if if they're uh, scheduled on a regular basis, they become just sort of a thing you're walking through that's not really productive and you spend too much time either chit-chatting about stuff that doesn't matter or people are using it for their own political gains, right? They want to come and they want to complain about somebody or something. And it's always, well, have you talked to that person yet? Well, no, I thought I'd... (laughs) Stop. (laughs) You're having a problem with someone. You should go talk with them first. If that doesn't work, yes, we will give you help and support. Um, but I I I can't tell you how many leaders and this part of my hatred of one on ones comes from. <laughs>
2: this is very therapeutic for you. It isn't really it? Is. Thank you. Keep
1: going. <laughs> is it's not scalable in remote work because you can't. Do it one on ones can work. I think for in a traditional setting, I see Tom go into Jane's office. And I know from a meeting last week that those two needed to talk. And when they talked, then my project could move forward. I have a signal, I know that they met, I can see it. There's a physical thing happening in remote work that does not exist. I don't know when they connected. I don't see their calendars. So instead we have to make sure, get that transparency we talked about earlier by having this in a team setting. I'm removing one-on-ones because otherwise we don't have the cues. We don't have the signposts anymore to know when is it my turn to move this thing forward or when can that person meet with me because I can see their desk. I can see their doors open, as you mentioned earlier, with the other person you had. So in a remote world, I think you have to eliminate them as much as possible. Well,
2: here's the thing, though, Chris, that's what works for you. Exactly, and 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 we don't we don't say in the book. By the way, if everybody does it this way, you're going to have success. Right. What we do say is, and you you've you've agreed, read the room, know your team, know yeah. when you need the one on ones, and and find out what works for you. You know, uh, if you're managing a bunch of engineers, you're going to do that a lot differently than if you're managing a bunch of salespeople or R and D. You know what I mean? So I, I think that that opinion that you've got is really valuable. And hopefully there's some takeaways that may not work for everybody. And that's okay. Of course. Of
3: course. And that's okay. What was yeah. interesting is yeah, I share an office with an, uh, a telecom company. When the pandemic hit, I had a chat in the parking lot with a few of the customer service people who were basically in tears that they couldn't come in anymore and be together. And, and, you know, how are we going to have that? And then I bumped into the IT guys who thought, Christmas had come early. It's like, we're all going home and we will never see another human being. This is the best thing that's ever happened, you know? And so Jess is exactly right. Yeah, we can't assume that all our people are the same. You have to read the room, you have to get to know your people and what really motivates them.
1: Yeah, and I think you just have to continue to create the signpost. Because if I walk into an office and my boss is standing there holding a dry erase pen in front of a dry erase board and motions me into a meeting, I know we're probably going to have a meeting and we're going to brainstorm. Right. I mean, it's very clear what's about to happen. Um, but that doesn't right now, anyone who's doing remote or hybrid work or has that's happening, you have to recreate that somehow. And it, it, you lose that thing, which is okay. It, it, can, it can work even sometimes even better to not have to rely on those sort of hints, but you have to read You have to create those intentional things. And Chester, as you just mentioned, like my sales team has a very standing meeting, right? Every Monday morning, they, what are they working on? But my research team, they're working asynchronously in Slack and they just talk to each other. They'd be happy to never see each other. They just,
2: right, right.
1: where did I leave off and what are we doing? And they're just, they're tickled pink that they don't have to be on any meetings. You know, they just work and send each other notes all day long. So, but you have to create what's, what works well for your team. How can they be most productive? Exactly, exactly right. So what have I failed to ask you about that you think is really important in your book? What is maybe what is one or two things that we, we, maybe we should have hit that you, you want people to know that they're definitely going to be exposed to or be able to learn about uh, when they check out your new book, Anxiety at Work?
2: Well, I think that you know, a, a big takeaway I hope that your listeners get is that they're not alone that this is something that pretty much everybody is suffering from uh, at some degree, Mm -hmm. that there are allies out there, that it's okay to be vulnerable. And, and, and I get that it's scary at first, The, the people that we interviewed, particularly leaders that, you know, were very hesitant to become vulnerable because they thought people would think less of them, that they were weak, that they weren't qualified. Once they got vulnerable, once they talked about their anxiety, found that almost universally people came up and rallied around them. In fact, the most common thing they said was, me too, me too. Mm. Thank you so much for, for, for sharing that with me, for giving me permission to share the same thing. So I would hope that one of the takeaways for the listeners of your, your podcast today is, hey, you're not alone. Because when you struggle with it alone, that's really hard. Yeah. When you've got help, when you've got an ally, when you've got you know confidence that people really do care about you and want to help you, uh, that, that lifts a big a big part of the load.
3: Yeah. And and I think one of the things I would add too is, you know, sometimes, you know, a lot of managers unfortunately have used in the past anxiety as this weapon to get people to work better. And, and it doesn't work. As we know, going into B plus and A minus organizations, right, Chris, is that the best organizations don't lead that way. The best leaders don't lead that way. And you can't just tell somebody to calm down, as the old saying goes, Never in the history of calming down has ever, everyone, anyone ever calmed down by being told to <laughs> calm down. Right? So, so the idea is if you want bright people, and right now what we're seeing, 42% of people in their 20s that have full-blown anxiety disorder symptoms, you have to change the way that you are leading right now. That was the biggest takeaway for us. You can't just keep doing it the same way, expecting people to fit in to how you do things. Think about how you can do things differently from, from here on. And it really will, you know, bring you the best talent and get the best out of those people.
1: Yeah. And, and hopefully we have, as we talked about before, the common experience of going through this, that we can realize that this is something in most cases that we can give people that space, that time, that support, and they're going to be able to to come back and and be some version of the great employee that we want them to be. Uh, I think, it's really, easy. I can understand how people can get scared. If someone came in and said, well, geez, I'm feeling anxious. I need to take three days off and be like, what are going to do this every month or every week? Are you going to come in and ask for three days? You know, And I don't understand what you're going through. It is, yeah, you got a broken leg. You got the flu. I know you're going to have a process. You're going to come back and you're going to be fine. But I don't understand what anxiety means. I don't understand what depression means. I don't understand. You know. And so how do you support somebody? But maybe if we can all, I guess, sort of try to be allies and work towards that in a really productive way. Uh, hopefully our people can, can stick around, they can be great. And maybe as leaders, we can help be a part of that solution right? to lower their anxiety, which I, I, I think would be the goal. Maybe I'm off on that, but I think that might be the goal. To What, what can we do to help l- lighten that load for them? Exactly, and that's why we're passionate
2: about taking that stigma away, right? Because a lot of people are suffering and they're afraid. They're afraid that they'll be weak. uh, They're afraid they're going to end their careers. And so that's where we really are passionate about, look, you're not alone. You can work this out. And if we can just take that stigma away and treat it like we would anything else, boy, we could make huge strides and make a lot of people really excited to come to work instead of afraid.
1: Well, final question, most important, how can people find out more about you too? What website should they go to? Where can they find the book? I'm excited to get my copy and hopefully put 900 more sticky notes in it. Um, and, and, and yeah, so Anxiety at Work, I'm sure they can get on Amazon or wherever they buy books. But where else can they check you guys out to, to find your great work?
3: Well, we're we're on adriangostick.com or chestereldon.com. We also have a great uh, book website of anxietyatworkbook.com, where there's lots of giveaways if you buy the book and send in a receipt, you get all this free stuff. So you might as well do that uh, and check out some of the uh, wonderful endorsements from some uh, great luminaries on the book. Uh, so thanks, Chris, again for having us on the show and for yeah, and spreading the word on this important topic.
2: I would just add to that. Follow us on LinkedIn as well. And we've got our own podcast, Anxiety at Work, where we bring in all kinds of experts to talk about it. So we're following in your footsteps, Chris. We decided we were the only authors on the planet that didn't have a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And so we've jumped in there, too. So lots of places to find us. And again, echoing what Adrian said, thank you so much for loaning us your platform. To talk well, about this most important. I was
1: I was super excited when your people reached out to mine and we uh, got got connected and have you on the show. Like I said, it wasn't it felt it feels like forever ago. It was maybe 2008 or 2009 when you were throwing carrots at my head, uh, <laughs> at a show. And uh, you know, fortunately, you did because it it yeah there there it is there we go. It really had an impact on me and in my organization and everything that I've done since. then. so I really appreciate both of the the work that you two have done. So. Hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give Absolutely. us an update on all the awesome stuff you guys are doing. And I hope people will check out the book, the podcast, and everything else. So thank you guys so much for being a part of the show.
3: Thanks, Chris. Take thank care. Thank you
1: all. Hope well. everyone uh, learned something. They can use their own career in a positive way. We'll be back next Tuesday. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.
3: Thanks so much.
1: Wonderful. Thanks, guys. Appreciate, Appreciate it. Thanks, it.
4: care. Appreciate it. You've been listening yeah. to
0: Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.